Live, where we are looping supporters of lupus to educate, inspire, encourage, and empower people all over the world about lupus issues. Today, we have a great guest. Her name is Melanie Igwe, and she will be talking with us about clinical trials. We are live here on Facebook. We are live on YouTube. We are also live up above me at Instagram for information, just in case you cannot tune in where we are live at now. But before we start, let me just start, as we always do, with our disclaimer. The information and our answers provided during the Sloopers and Color videos and live events are not meant to be used as a substitute for professional medical advice. Information provided may differ from your physician's advice. The information provided and presented is for educational purposes only to support attendees in the quest to learn more about a most silent disease. Please check with your own physician before changing anything in your treatment plan. The information contained in any video or live event is not intended to recommend the self-management or health problems or wellness. It is not intended to endorse or recommend it any particular type of medical treatment. Should any attendee have any healthcare related questions, promptly call your con or consult your physician or healthcare provider. No information presented should be used by any attendee to disregard medical and or health related advice or provide a basis to delay consultation with your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider. Persons accessing this information assume full responsibility for the use of the information and understand and agree that lupus and color or its presenters are not responsible or liable for any claim, loss, or damage arising from the use of this information. So I always like to start with that because we all know we have to, we are here to educate, inspire, encourage, and empower lupus warriors, but we want to make sure that you're safe and we want to make sure that you're checking with your own doctor to deal with your issues. So Without further ado, we're going to start talking about Clinical Trials 101, and I'm going to bring up Melanie Igwe, who is the COO of View Health, and we're going to start our conversation once she gives us a little bit about herself. So give me one minute. Hey there, Melanie. Hi, Raquel. How are you? I am good. How about yourself? I'm great. I'm great. I'm super awesome. excited to be here and really excited to talk about this topic. I'm so glad that you are here and you are going to share with us about Clinical Trials 101. But before we even start that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your organization is about? Yeah, absolutely. So hi, everyone. My name is Melanie Igwe. I go by Mel. Um, and I am one of the co-founders and COO of View Health. Um, and at View Health, really, patients are our number one priority. And our job is to make sure that your job of managing your autoimmune disease is done effectively and safely. Um, so the way that we're helping patients that are living with various autoimmune diseases is we've actually created a care app um, where people living with these conditions can really start to live a better life. And the way that we're doing that is the app allows you to track symptoms, flares, AIDS and stress management, as we know, when you're living with an autoimmune condition, um, stress can be a big trigger for flare. So we really want to make sure that we're taking a holistic um, approach in managing care. Um, in addition to that, we also um, really have like autoimmune focused uh, stress management tools around like guided meditation and breath work. So we have that, but 
we believe that that's one part of your toolbox, right? Of your health toolkit. In addition to that, we also have a care team that comprises of nurses as well as autoimmune focused health coaches that help with nutrition as well as lifestyle. But all of this um, we do, but we also connect people to clinical research. And the way that we do that is we consolidate your medical records um, and use those medical records to then connect you to the inclusion exclusion criteria of various studies that we're contracted to support and really make sure that you're understanding studies, understanding what to expect, and really are given access to participate in studies um, that could potentially help you along your autoimmune journey. Awesome. It seems like you guys do a lot of great work and a lot of help to, to, to autoimmune warriors that need it, that, you know, things like that are very much needed from any any type of app that we might have. And I heard you say clinical research. So let's get into it. Let's get into it like we need to. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about it. What are clinical trials? Could you yes. give us like a little explanation as to what that is? Absolutely. So I'm going to start off with uh, the formal definition, which is coming from the NIH, right? So according to the NIH, a clinical trial is a research study in which one or more human subjects are prospectively assigned to one or more interventions, which may include placebo or other controls, um, to evaluate the effects of those interventions on health-related biomedical and or behavioral outcomes. Um, but you know what? Let's put that into normal terms, right? So yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, clinical trials are the primary way that researchers find out if a new treatment like a drug or a diet or medical device are safe and effective in people. Um, so that's essentially what clinical trials are, right? Right, right. And that they're, 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 it's funny because a lot of times people don't want to do clinical trials. They don't feel like they're a match. They don't feel like it's needed. They don't want to be a guinea pig. And it's, 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 it's I kind of felt the same way when I was looking for a new way to treat my own lupus. You know, it, it just kind of felt like, oh, do I really want to do something like a clinical trial? And I had to really check myself before I missed out on the opportunity to try and do a clinical trial. So I guess that leads me to my next question. Like, why do you feel clinical trials are important? Yeah, so... Okay, so one, clinical trials are super important because if we are not represented, just simply put, we have no idea what will happen as we're on those therapies, right? And a staggering statistic that I wanna share with you all is that um, only 6% of diverse populations are represented in clinical research. Mm -hmm. And it's crucial that we really increase representation um, in clinical trials. Even as we look more acutely at conditions like lupus, where lupus is, you know, the most common autoimmune disease impacting Black women, yet a, a stat that I want to share with you all is that it's been stated that Black individuals can uh, constitute 43% of SLE cases, but are only 14% uh, of trial participants. 
Oh. And what this exactly what this means is that as you're going to your physician to get these different therapies, they are not equipped with having all of the data necessary for them to actually say, this is when this therapy will be effective for you. This is how long this uh, therapy will start to work for you because there wasn't a representative sample of people that share more of your genetic you know, makeup or um, physiological makeup included in clinical research. So what I really want to impart on people today is that inclusive research means inclusive treatments and inclusive treatments means therapies that will work better for you and not just the management of your condition, but really helping you improve your quality of life, which is what our aim is about, right? Like you want to make sure that your condition is being managed, but you also want to make sure that you're able to live the kind of life that you want to um, while taking those therapies. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's so important to be represented in those trials. And I see, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I would show some different information as people put it on the group chats. And like Deborah was saying, she says, I have always been afraid of clinical trials. And I think that we are so afraid to do these trials, whether it be fear of the unknown or fear of things that happened in the past, let's take Tuskegee, for instance, or Henrietta Lacks, or, you know, things of that nature, where the healthcare system really has just used and abused the Black community and, you know, Black, Brown, Caramel community. Exactly. And many people are very afraid for those clinical trials. How would you, how would you really talk to them about that? How would you, you know, assure them that things, you know, it's, Calm down. It's okay to do them. Yeah. Well, first things first is having those fears is valid, right? There, is, there has been medical atrocities that have been um, committed on diverse populations. So I think the first thing is be honest about what has happened, and but still talk about how those atrocities, how terrible they were they really led to a lot of advances in regulation to ensure patient safety. So two things that I want to kind of bring up are um, a term uh, called IRB, right? Which stands for Institutional Review Board. And these are really independent bodies that are overseeing um, trials to make sure that they're safe and what people are doing within those trials is actually in alignment with like the protocol and what they're sharing with patients. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that, and I'll discuss this more in detail as we kind of talk more, um, is the informed consent, right? So before you are asked to draw a drop of blood or take any kind of samples, there has to be a healthcare professional that shares with you what will happen in this study. And you are able to ask all of the questions that you need to to make sure that what the information that they're sharing with you about the study is in alignment with what will actually happen. And when you sign the ICF, that is a legal as well as regulatory document that is stating that if you are going to engage in the study, this is what um, this study site is agreeing to do. So I think we have to confront those medical atrocities head on. However, we also need to make sure that people are educated that there has been 
a significant amount of regulation put into place that prioritizes patient safety over everything else. Right. It's, 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 it's important to have that education out there, you know, because, you know, you've defined what the clinical trials are. You've stated how important it is. And I think that when people don't know someone that has gone through a trial or hasn't heard about anybody, you know, of our persuasion that has gone through a trial, they kind of still kind of step back. But, you know, like I was telling you before, when we were discussing this a while ago, and I was saying, you know, I've been in so many different trials, one for the medicine that I'm on now called Benlista, and then another for meditation and another for dieting. It was so many different trials that I've tried because I want to, to be that person to not only help myself, but maybe possibly be able to help someone else in their quest to just be better beyond lupus. So clinical trials are so important just to have that information. So like you said, we can be treated and treat the whole person and every person. Exactly. And I really love that you said that, right? So just an anecdote, right? My um, father has had, um, he had a massive stroke when I was 12 years old and it paralyzed him. And as a result, he's had um, severe renal issues. Um, so thank God that he's still alive, but he he battles, right? He battles with a lot of different health challenges. And it was interesting to me, especially growing up, right? Because his like team of physicians, so from his cardiologist to his nephrologist, like would be putting him on these different medications. And he would say like, oh, I don't think it's working or I feel bad about this or bad about that. And, you know, seeing that and then even expanding that out, right, to thinking about like different aunts and uncles or family friends that were taking medications. And it's like kind of that common thread of like, I don't think this is working for me. Right. Right. When um, Kwaku, who's my co-founder, we were like confronted with that statistic. It was like, oh, OK, we get it. Right. Because upstream um, we're not being represented in clinical research. So the effect of that downstream are these therapies that um, might not work as well for us as they would in other populations, right? So that's what I want to stress, right? And also just make it tangible that the challenges that you might be experiencing are not because someone didn't care. It's just like there's a lack of data, you know, to make sure that those decisions are being um, made properly. But I also think it's really important to kind of take a step back and kind of understand what participating in a trial looks like, right? And that's a big thing for us is dispelling like different myths or misinformation. And just to be honest, like when you think about um, the representation or portrayal of clinical research in media, Oh, it's never good, right? right? And even when you think about some of the earliest like media or books, when you think about like Frankenstein, that's not something that you probably want to be a part of. So, right. I like, right. <laughs> you know, I like to kind of level set so that you understand um, what you're walking into and really are able to have just a better understanding of what to expect. So, I'll, I'll kind of start from there where, so before any clinical trial, 
a healthcare professional will thoroughly explain the process to you, right? And it's required that you are very much aware of what this clinical trial um, protocol is trying to do, the plan, um, and they have to explain it to you, right? So in that explanation, what they break down are the types of patients um, who may enter the study, the schedules of those different tests and procedures, um, the drugs that might be involved, as well as the dosage or the amount of the drug, the length of the study. And really, um, the researchers should be explaining what they hope to learn from the study, right? Because every single time that a clinical trial is done, whether it's successful or it fails, there's a lot of valuable data that can be gleaned in terms of helping progress the understanding and management of that disease forward. So all of that is explained to you. Awesome. Um, and I'm glad that you're explaining that because it's important to know, and if you're, if you're ever looking to become a part of a clinical trial, that there are standards and there is a way that everything is done. So it's not something that's really nilly like it might've been in the past, but it's more structured and it's more uh, set to help you more than anything else. Exactly. I love that you said that, right? Because all clinical trials do have guidelines that they are following in order um, to even have people participate in them, right? And really, this usually centers around <clears throat> um, the age, the sex, um, the type of disease and the stage of that disease, mm -hmm. um, which is very important any kind of previous treatment history and really any other medical conditions that could um, pose to be a challenge. And mm -hmm. I want to kind of take some time to kind of explain those different things, right? Okay. So in the effort to make sure that patients are safe um, and that these treatments are pushing more towards um, efficacy, those factors are very important. And they are things that those are the strict guidelines that the study is following to ensure that the patients that are coming on to the study have a better chance of having better outcomes, right? So I always like to make sure that that's very clear that the reason why it's set up the way that it is, is first things first, to make sure that safety is paramount for any person that wants to participate. And second, making sure that in identifying ways to get to greater efficacy, those are patients that have a patient profile um, that would align with getting to that greater efficacy or that therapy working better for that, that patient. It's, it's so interesting that you say that because I'm, I'm still focused on, as you were talking, I'm hearing what you're saying and then I'm, I'm going back to that whole 43% of lupus patients are Black, but only 14% are in clinical trials for new medications. And you're going back and forth with the efficacy and how things, you know, really affect us. Those of us who get on these medications, then we become the trial. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it kind of, it's kind of scary when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but that's what's great about clinical trials, right? And 
I want to also take an opportunity to kind of walk you through what, um, from start to finish, what a clinical trial would look like, right? Just to kind of demystify that, um, because it can be scary, um, but it doesn't have to be when you're educated. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I kind of briefly explained some of these other, um, like kind of the over overview of um, like participating in trials, but let's really get into what does this process look like? So first things first, um, when you are presented a clinical trial opportunity, um, that healthcare professional, so many times it will be a clinical research coordinator that will be speaking to you. And this is a healthcare professional. Um, there are times where sometimes PIs who are uh, principal investigators might also share information about the study as well, right? So when you're going in to be evaluated, um, they're gonna share the study, but they're also gonna ask about your history, right? And they want your patient perspective from your condition and how your disease has been progressing. But what they also capture are your medical records. And what's really important is that they need to be able to see from both what you're saying about your condition um, in addition to what is the clinical picture of your condition as well, and be able to marry both of those to make sure that as they're evaluating that protocol, um, and particularly looking at the inclusion exclusion criteria of a protocol, that you would be a safe fit, one, and two, you would be a fit that could be promising with getting to that efficacy that they're looking for for that treatment, right? So as they're asking all of these questions, you are asking questions as well, right? Because it is your opportunity to really get clear on what is going to happen as I'm in this study. And this is where I kind of briefly touched on this with the informed consent, where after the healthcare professional has shared um, the study information with you, and after you have your questions cleared up and you're like, yep, I'm ready to go, you sign the informed consent, which is literally a document that reflects everything that was discussed and shared with you um, about the study, right? Okay. So what that informed consent allows for is the next step where you can essentially start the screening process. So sometimes you're able to start screening right after you sign the informed consent, and sometimes there might be a delay um, because I also want to take a kind of a step back and share something. So there is a lot of innovation within clinical trials, right? And there's a lot of work that um, a lot of incredible pharmaceutical companies, which in the case of clinical trials are called sponsors, are doing to make sure that clinical research is accessible. So sometimes you can physically go to a clinical trial site, but there are also clinical trials that fall under the category of decentralized clinical trials or DCT, where those are clinical trials um, that can sometimes happen at your home. And they might even send a healthcare professional to go over the informed consent with you and do the other activities that are slated to understand like your clinical baseline, right? So I wanted to kind of make sure that that was kind of broken down. Okay. okay. Yeah. Makes sense. So, 
But in this case, I'll go ahead and relegate it to you going to a physical site um, just to explain that process. So as you're going to this physical site, or you might have already been there because you signed the informed consent, this is where um, your screening starts, where there'll be a collection of a number of different um, items from you. So they might draw blood, they might collect samples, they might have you do just different lab tests. And really, that's in an effort to understand what is your baseline, right? Where are you? And if you were to proceed with this clinical trial, how would it actually work with you, right? So all of that um, is explained and many times conducted by the PI or the principal investigator in conjunction with a clinical research coordinator as well. And they're really trying to evaluate um, cognitive as well as physical tests during this visit because medications are many times holistic, even though they're targeting um, certain areas, they still wanna make sure that the other functions that are happening with you are, are, are okay, right? right? So then after those different labs have been conducted, those results then inform whether you're going to be a screen pass or a screen fail, right? And I do want to kind of take some time on this because when you hear screen fail, it's like, wait, did I fail? And it's like, right. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you did not. You're not, you're, you did not. <laughs> um, in making sure that these medications and as they're testing this are safe and can be effective for you, they want to make sure that your lab values are within certain clinical ranges, right? And unfortunately, there are times where a patient can look really great from their medical records for a clinical trial, but due to the standard of care that they might be on or other factors that can happen, um, they might screen fail. But what that means and what I always like to tell our members is that means that even though this is a study that you did not, um, you're not going to be advancing to, it means that we do have a system that is trying to make sure that you are safe because they were able to identify um, certain areas within you that might not align with you being safe, as well as this therapy being effective if you were to be on it for the duration of the study, right? Right. So I guess it's like, you know, when uh, uh, when I was going for my particular medication, it was like if you had heart issues, you weren't able to, de- you know, be part of the study or if your if your uh, white blood count was too high, you know, it would it would really make the efficacy of the of the drug not really work for you. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So it's, that's a very good point. Thank you for making that. Absolutely. Because and this is the other thing, too. Right. You know, just because that protocol or even that screening may have not aligned with where you were, there's still many other trials and opportunities that could, right? So I also don't want people to get discouraged if they do run into a screen failure because there are other opportunities um, to identify trials that can be more in alignment with um, where you are, right? But in the event that you pass screening, 
then what would happen is that you would be randomized into um, two groups, right? One group would either be placebo, um, which is what most people know. And it's, you know, normally nothing is really happening. The other, um, I want to kind of add an asterisk to that. There's a lot of advances that have been made for control groups or the different groups that you can be in. And one of those is there's more and more studies that are allowing people to remain on the standard of care that they're receiving so that there's really no disruption to how their care has been managed through the therapies that they're taking, right? Um, so I wanted to also make sure that people were clear with that because there are times where you have to come off of your therapy um, to be able to take that investigational therapy. And then of course the other group is uh, the investigational arm, right? Where you're given this investigational uh, therapy to really see how um, it will work at targeting the like issue that you're having with your condition. Right. So I heard you say placebo. Could you explain exactly what that is for those of us that don't know? Yeah, so a placebo, many times it can be called like a sugar pill, but it's essentially like, uh, something that it's given that doesn't really have like an active ingredient or something to have that would induce like a physiological change. Right. So right. that's essentially what it is. Um, so hopefully that is clear. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's pretty clear. And I guess uh, I just can you clarify to make sure that they you don't know what group you're going to be in. They just That's the other you. thing too. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. When people are randomized, um, you don't know which arm it is. And many times that falls under studies being double blinded where, um, yeah, you don't know the, some of the other people don't know. Um, and that's really in an effort to make sure that as you look at these two groups in parallel, whether they're on the placebo slash standard of care or they're taking that investigational therapy, you're able to see head to head how are they performing on those therapies. Right. Right. Without any like bias or something right. coming in to like alter the results of that data. Because I don't, I don't think that we know that we don't really realize sometimes how our mind really plays tricks on us sometimes. Like if we know we're getting the placebo, we're just not going to function well at all. I'm always in pain. And this was explained to me even when, in some of the trials that I've been. In. And it's like, you know, it's either you know or you don't know. You're going to do it or you're not going to do it. You just have to live your life mm -hmm. knowing that something's going to work. Right. And I love that you say that, right? Because a big thing for us is even after you pass screening and you're randomized, we really believe in making sure that your support system, um, and what I mean by that is like family, friends, caregiver, um, anyone in your life that like, you know, you care about and want to know about this, um, you're sharing the details of the study with them, right? That's super important. Um, because if there is anything that happens within that study, it's great to kind of have a circle of people um, that you can share that information with and they know what's happening. The other big thing that I want to talk about that as well in, 
in safety being um, prioritized, any time that you might have changes that you are not sure of what's happening, um, we definitely encourage, and it's also stated in studies as well, for you to reach out to the PI or the clinical research coordinator, right? They, it is imperative for them to make sure that this, you are progressing in a way that is helpful. And if you have anything, which many times they're called either adverse events or AEs or SAEs, severe adverse events, they want to know about that so that they can take corrective action to make sure that um, you're safe, right? But I think also making sure that like your support system, being aware of your participation also helps with that as well, because you could tell people like, hey, I'm feeling a little lightheaded. Okay, well then let's go ahead and call the PI um, to make sure that, you know, things are okay. Right, right, awesome. I, I mean, it's so much great information that you're giving as far as what it is exactly and exactly how important it is for us to begin, you know, just thinking about possibly doing a clinical trial and then to go into the safety aspect of it, because I think that <laughs> sometimes we're like, these people don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> they're just, you know, they're just trying to shoot us in the arm with this and shoot us in the arm with that. You know how people are always saying nonsense, but when you are educated about it and you're explained, like you're explaining it, the safety issues and things of that measure, it really makes a difference in how you look at it. And also, I love that you brought that up, right? Because most studies will um, have you also um, put in information about how you're feeling in a digital diary, right? Where they're able to review that almost in real time. So that constant understanding of how you're progressing is what they prioritize because they want to make sure that one, you're safe. Um, two, they want to make sure that this is a therapy that is um, the efficacy is there um, because it's now an opportunity to share it with other people and make sure that not just their you know condition is being better managed, but their quality of life can be improved. Yeah. And I love that um, Deborah said that she, the same lady that said that she was afraid, you know, now she's a little bit more comfortable because she has the education. She has the knowledge to make an, an educated decision for herself. And that's the whole purpose of us doing this clinical trials one on one, because people just really need to be educated and they need to be informed about what's going on. And I love that you said that. Right. Because a big thing for us is shared decision making and in the case of lupus, even if you're participating in a clinical trial, you still get to see your physician, right? So, and for lupus, it would be, you know, you still get to see your rheumatologist, or if you have lupus nephritis, um, your nephrologist, in addition to your rheumatologist, because like you said, Raquel, like your life is still going to keep moving, right? And we, and really the broader uh, clinical trial community are not trying to have disruptions to your life. We're really just trying to make sure that if we can advance therapies, we are identifying, you know, um, active ingredients and investigational therapies that can move people forward. So I'm really happy that you said that. Yeah, it's, it's very important. I'm so happy that we're having this conversation. It's a conversation that is often <laughs> pushed to the side. Uh, so I'm glad that we're discussing it. 
Now, I know that uh, View Health does participate in helping people get in clinical trials. Am I correct? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I'll kind of take a step back and walk you through our process because there's a lot of different um, ways that people are approaching um, getting people to participate into clinical research, but I'll kind of share what's unique about <clears throat> view health. So one, first things first, is um, it's one thing for someone to self-report, but we actually go through the effort of consolidating your medical records, and we also share that back with you. Um, I just also want to take an aside, like the diagnosing odyssey for most people living with autoimmune conditions can be very long and very challenging. So being able to have your medical records um, is something that we believe is a value. And we want to make sure that we're providing that value back to you, right? No matter what provider you decide to uh, help you manage your condition. But those medical records um, allow for us to pre-qualify you to clinical research. So as stated before, there's the inclusion exclusion criteria, right? Which is a set of criteria that can either include you into a study or exclude you from a study. So we have a matching algorithm that allows for us to parse through your data and then be able to say, hey, Raquel, there's a clinical trial that would be suited for you. We always use the language of pre-qualification because as stated before, you can clinically look great on paper, but you might get to the screening and something might be off with respect to the labs. And we always wanna make sure that we're um, managing expectations correctly. I should also say that we take privacy, security, um, clearly safety, very important. So when you're coming onto our platform and you are granting us access, um, we are making sure that we're HIPAA compliant um, so that your data is safe and it is protected in a way that is actually above what, um, what HIPAA has us do. So I wanted to make sure that that was clear, but I'll circle yeah. back. Yeah, because that's the other thing too. Like, it's really on us to make sure that we have your trust, right? And we really believe that trust is garnered through providing value, but also making sure that the privacy of your data is, <laughs> is, is highly valued. And then on top of that, that you are being able to be connected to clinical trials that would make sense for you, right? So I'll kind of circle back to the ladder of that um, process. So every member that is pre-qualified for a clinical trial on our platform is assigned a trial navigator. And the intent of the trial navigator is to explain the study, right? We really look for, we want to make sure that you understand it. The study, we want to make sure that this is a study that can also fit into your lifestyle. So we'll ask questions around what are any barriers to retention, meaning do you have transportation challenges? Do you um, like what does your schedule look like? Do you need child care? Like we want to understand those things so that this is a study that you're not just going to, but one that you can retain in so that you can, if it is potentially effective, you are getting those benefits of being able to be on that therapy throughout the duration of the study. And wow. also 
Yeah, just also, you know, if we're going to right the wrongs of the past and we want to make sure that we're reducing as much fear as possible, we want to make sure that we're with you every step of the way. And I like to call it digital handholding where it's like, hey, if you <laughs> seriously, um, we want to make sure that you you understand what it is that you're getting into before um, even your information is shared with the site. Right. So after you go through that um, time of speaking with a trial navigator um, and you're like, yes, I'm interested, let's go. We then will share your medical records uh, with that clinical trial site. And really, we also want to make sure that the clinical picture that we're providing, they're in agreement with you advancing to the study as well, right? So there's that. We also, um, in this phase of like coordinating you going to screening, we share the IRB, remember that word, <laughs> or multiple words, uh, patient-facing right. material. And we really encourage you to share that with the physician that's managing your care. So with respect to lupus, that would be your rheumatologist, right? Um, because we want to make sure that they have buy-in on the, the study that you might be participating in as well. So after all of that is good, we then, um, yes, your information is shared. The site will then contact you to then um, go in for screening. I kind of discussed screening before, but that's where a number of labs will be taken, as well as you signing the informed consent. Um, and then after that, they'll determine whether you're a screen fail, screen pass, and all every step of the way, that trial navigator is following up with you after each of those scheduled visits wow. to make sure that, and really what we're trying to understand is, were you treated well at the site? Did you feel respected and heard at the site? Um, are there any changes to your schedule? And really, um, what's kind of going on with you so that this is something that you still mentally want to be a part of, right? Like, a lot of times we, we can just be like, oh, the clinical component. But like, if somebody has things going on in their life, All right. like participating in a clinical trial might be deprioritized. But if you have somebody there that you're building that rapport with and that you can trust and you know has your back, um, that's what's important to us. And all I of love that. I, I, I love that. I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I love that you have like an, it, it's, it's like an, a support that mm -hmm. walks with you the whole way. And that makes such a difference and keeping you calm during everything that goes on. And it's like a liaison between you and the site people. Exactly. Exactly. Because what can happen sometimes is, okay, yeah, you learn about a study, but like, that's it. And this is already scary and unfamiliar and nerve wracking, but having someone there to be like, hey, I got you, you know, and we're going to walk this journey together and um, you can lean on me is something that we are prioritizing, especially when it comes to populations um, that have gone through what we've gone through. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. Nicole said that, wow, I love that. It's so convenient and empowering. I, I agree, I agree. You know, all everything that you've said has been so very educational and very empowering for everyone who has, you know, tuned in today. Um, 
what other safety measures are you all taking within your organization to make sure that everything is cool and copacetic? Well, first things first is um, we're HIPAA compliant. So I'll start with privacy first. Um, we go through painstaking links to make sure that any kind of data, um, any kind of, you'll hear um, acronym, I guess, uh, PHI or personal health information is protected, right? One. Two, um, before we even take on studies, we review the protocols to make sure that one, these are protocols that we can support. And also, are these um, pharmaceutical companies that we trust with our members, right? Because patients are at the center of what we do. Like, honestly, View Health starts and stops with patients. That's it. And if we are sending people to sites or studies that are not safe, we're not doing our job. So, and we will reject certain studies where we're like, um, why is this not on clinicaltrials.gov? Which means that the FDA has visibility to those studies. Mm. And where is the proper documentation? Because we're going to make sure that any place that you go to, they are, what they say they're going to do in the study is what they're actually going to do in the study. And there's proper oversight of what is actually being conducted in the study. That's very important because I think a lot of times we miss that part of, you know, this is larger than just one organization. This is broader than just one person, you know, and we need to make sure that we're doing things in, in decency and in order. And that's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, how can how can people get in touch with you guys if they were interested in starting a clinical trial? Absolutely. So it's super easy. Um, you would literally just go to viewhealth.com and there uh, you would be connected with one of our fabulous nurses. Um, and yeah, you would get your journey started there. Um, they'll essentially walk you through like our view health program as well as um, navigating you if you're interested in participating in clinical research as well. So yeah, so you can go to viewhealth.com or I know Raquel that I've shared my contact information. So if anyone wants to personally reach out to me, um, I love, love, I think the best, best, best part of my job is being able to speak to our members and patients and really figure out how we can um, support you throughout your healthcare journey. So if you want to reach out to me personally, I'm totally open to that as well. Okay. And what's your email? Sure. It would be M, so the letter M, dot I-G-W-E at V-I-U-H-E-A-L-T-H, you help, all one word, dot com. I wanted to type it in the yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in the comments here so they can have it for a later reference. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. This has been such an educational session and I love it because, you know, it's it's definitely not something that everybody thinks about. So it's good to put that in people's head that you have this opportunity. If your current treatment is not working, you have an opportunity to try other treatments and be a part of helping others that can be, you know, better beyond lupus because they've had this medication. Exactly. I love the fact that you said that. And yeah, I feel like I'd be remiss without saying like, 
one, I appreciate you so much, Raquel, because putting together organizations like this is not easy. Um, but the fact that you're so dedicated to making sure that you're uplifting um, populations of color as well, and more importantly, people that are living with lupus, I like super, um, I'm just super appreciative of people like you and what you're doing and how you're trying to advance, um, you know, an, an understanding of lupus further. So I did want to make sure I said that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sometimes it's good to hear that every now and again. <laughs> you are appreciated, Raquel. Okay. I so appreciate it. So I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to leave some time for some questions. Absolutely. I, I do have a couple of questions that were sent to me early on. And if you have any questions on Facebook or YouTube, please go ahead and put those in the uh, chat. And I'll definitely um, ask Melanie her opinion. So one of the questions that I have that was sent in was, do you ever get compensated for clinical trials? Yes. Yeah. So there are definitely studies that will compensate you for your participation. Um, the other thing that I'd like to add to that as well is many times there's a travel budget that's set aside as well. So if you have challenges um, with transportation, there's also a budget that's made for that as well. So it's not always like a large amount of money, but it is something to make sure that, you know, the time that you spent there, um, you were compensated for. Absolutely. And I, that was a good question. I, I like that question because, you know, mm -hmm. time is money sometimes and sometimes money is time, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, another, let me put up one of the, um, so glad I tuned in today. I appreciate everything I heard today. Awesome. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. I so appreciate you tuning in. Um, the next question that I have is, oh, I lost it. <laughs> Where'd it go? Where did it go? Okay, here it is. The next question that I have is, as far as privacy is concerned, how do I work that with my doctor? How would that work with the medical information being transferred to your system? Is there an excellent question? System? Excellent question. And I love that you said this. So when you come on to view health and even more acutely, as we're consolidating your medical records, there is a digital consent form that you would fill out. Right. And that digital consent um, is linked to our privacy policy, as well as our terms and conditions. So in our terms and conditions, we explicitly state that we are um, using your PHI for one, for you to be able to look at your medical records, um, two, for us to be able to use your medical records to match you to inclusion exclusion criteria of clinical trials, three, for us to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, communicate uh, that clinical trial opportunity to you. And lastly, in the event that you are advanced to screening, um, being able to share those medical records with um, the clinical research site. We take privacy and what we are doing with your data very seriously. And there is nothing that is out of the bounds that we do with your data, one. Two, um, if there's any a time that you are like, I no longer want to participate with ViewHealth, we immediately destroy your records 
as well as your account, because these are your records, right? When you come onto View Health, you own them. We're just simply hosting them for you. That's it. That's 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 a great point, mm-hmm. especially in today's day and age where everything is going awry. Exactly. That's a great point to have that. Is there any time that um, the insurance will have to be involved as far as covering clinical trials? Yeah, that's very rare. Um, we have not had any um, real ways that insurance has had to be involved to cover it. Um, generally, the uh, pharmaceutical company or they're called sponsors uh, will cover the cost of like the different like labs or things that are needed um, to have a better clinical understanding of what's happening with you. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I think I have two more questions that Absolutely. I have. Um, uh, that's a good question. Um, how would the treatment, I guess it would depend on what you're getting. How would the treatment in the trial compare to the other treatment choices that they are currently on? Oh, that's a really good question. I guess that that would be hard to really answer. Yeah, it's a little hard to answer because you would have to, <laughs> yeah, it's a, to break it down, right? So there's a lot of different measurement tools to evaluate um, disease activity, right? Especially in lupus, like y'all of, of all of the autoimmune conditions, y'all got, there's sleet eye, there's Selena, there's sleet eye 2K, there's, there's a lot of different ways, right? So what would have to happen is they would have to do a head-to-head comparison of where was your disease activity on the standard of care or the current treatment that you're on against this new investigational therapy? And where is your disease activity after a certain period of projected time for efficacy to actually take place for there to be uh, an actual change in your um, disease activity? And hopefully that change would be, you know, a positive one where you're either halting the progression of the condition or um, at least it's better managed. Right, right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. That was That's the best way I could answer that. <laughs> yeah, without having all of the knowledge of what they're on and, and what's being given to them in, in the trial. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, where was that last question? I know someone some someone contacted me via text actually and said, "How are the risk, the risk and benefits in the trials? You know, how is that weighed out? You know, Ooh. if if something happens to them while they're there, mm-hmm. you know, how do they handle the risk that could happen, and how do they handle the benefits?" Yeah, that's a great question. I want to kind of start off with the risk, right? Um, because that's the one that has uh, really serious implications. So one, um, from my knowledge and to date, which I want to kind of shout out to God for that, we have not (laughs) had any (laughs) uh, patients that we have sent to clinical trials that um, have had any um, adverse events or severe adverse events, at least. Um, So there's that. The real risk is this if there is an adverse event that is happening, um, it is up to the PI to essentially stop the therapy 
and then evaluate what is happening with you. Also um, make your physician that manages your care aware and then essentially get you to like get you treated as quickly as possible, right? right. It is not in their interest for you to, um, there's a statement called like decomposition, but like it's not in their interest for your condition to get worse or for you to be um, seriously negatively impacted from the therapy that they're on, that you're on, right? So that's what would happen. Um, I do want to say <clears throat> when it comes to those risks, that's why there's so much rigor around making sure you are the right patient right. for the study to really try to mitigate those risks from happening in the first place, right? So that is why the medical records are needed. That is why you go through a clinical baseline to see where are you if you were to start taking this investigational therapy, you know, in the next coming weeks after all of those results have been um, compiled. So that is what I also want to make sure of. And when we get to the benefits, I mean, the benefits can be tremendous, right? They can go anywhere from, eh, I maybe had a medium amount of change happen with me to like a condition being completely well-managed, right? Like there is someone that I'm thinking of right now that went through a clinical trial and their, their quality of life significantly improved from them being a part of that clinical trial and being able to have access to um, that therapy, right? So the benefits can go from, maybe there wasn't any change, right? Because maybe you were in a placebo group to, wow, I am, you know, I used to have a lot of joint pain or right. like there's a sun sensitivity where I'm always having like the butterfly rash and things like that to, I'm not having those things at all anymore, right? So it's variable when it comes to the benefits, but the benefits can be great um, for poor patients. Yeah. And I often tell people, you know, the benefits usually outweigh the risks, you know, and, and I'm, I'm living proof because the medicine that I started, I'm still on mm -hmm. after 10 years. You know what I'm saying? So I do want to point out that people have to give it time. You know, they have to give everything time in order to get into their system, to change their system, to <laughs> teach their system, because that's basically what medicine really does is just teaching your system not to attack itself and things right. of that nature. So it takes some time to get to that point of, you know, some type of relief, but it's definitely worth waiting and doing what you need to do. Oh, Let's see. She says, Melanie, what advice would you give to someone who is a little nervous about wanting to enter a clinical trial for the first time? It just sounds a little intimidating at times. Thank you, Nicole, for your question. I love that question. Thank you so much, Nicole. I think the biggest thing is one, you know, shameless plug, but if you're scared, <laughs> come on over to View Health. Um, because I, I think the big thing is breaking down um, what you don't know, right? A lot of times fear is rooted in unknown. And with us, we go through painstaking lengths to make sure that you have visibility at every single stage of your um, participation in clinical research. Right. And so there's that. The other thing is education, right? 
we see it, we see clinical research as a care option one and one that really should be understood in your health toolkit. So being able to educate yourself, coming on to events like this, um, talking to people like Raquel that have participated in clinical research and understanding um, what those things are that are making you apprehensive and then asking questions to really gain clarity around, okay, um, how many times do you have to draw blood? Cause I don't like needles, right? Like what does urine or 24 hour, you know, urine co collection look like? Asking those questions so that you have an understanding of what you're walking into. I really feel like is the best way for you to um, really kind of eradicate that fear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like Deborah said, again, she said, you know, she, it made her feel a little bit better just being here today. Oh, and, and understanding that, and that, and that's the hey, I'm of um, I'm of the mindset that if I can touch one or two people, then I've done my job, mm -hmm. and and I like to hear that. I'm so happy that that was helpful for everyone who has attended today, and who will listen on a little bit later on. So, Melanie, I want to be respectful of your time, and we've talked about what clinical trials are. We talked about why they're important. We talked about the actual process. We've covered a lot of things <laughs> in this one hour of conversation. I love it. I love it. We talked about the safety and the efficacy and the privacy. We talked about it all. And it's been such a great bit of information and a lot of good nuggets to bring on and give to other people. Is there anything else that you would want to say before we let you go on with the rest of your day to our listeners and to whoever will listen later on? Um, just more of an imperative, right? Where I think as we are learning to advocate more for ourselves, it is so important to be educated about all of the options that you have out there and identifying the ways to gain access to those options in a helpful way, right? Mm. And I just, that's just my big thing. I'm at the heart of it. I am an advocate for people living with, I mean, diseases in general, but more acutely autoimmune conditions because it's very near and dear to my heart. But the way that you can get better and really the way that you can live your best life is by having a better understanding of your condition, having a better understanding of what are the options that are out there and really being educated on those options so that you can exercise them at whatever point you are within your journey. So that's just my big thing is to, you know, have a every day, figure out how you can understand your body better, understand how you're interacting with your environment better so that you can really live the life that you deserve. Absolutely. That that's, that's, <laughs> you can't even end it any better than that statement. That was just right on point because I mean we have to learn what our bodies need and how to handle how lupus affects our bodies so yeah. that is just that was that was phenomenal thank you for that thank you for that thanks well like I said I want to be respectful of your time I want to thank you so much for coming on lupus in the loop lupus live today we have gotten so much great information and we'll send out some information to our um, members about getting in contact with you and being able to discuss with other people 
even if they can't do it themselves, about clinical trials. So I want to thank you once again. If you want to get in touch with Medaline, you just have to go and contact her at m.igwe at viuhealth.com or you can just log on to viuhealth.com and contact her in that way. So thank you so much, Melanie. I so appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Raquel. And um, thank you to everybody that was watching and a part of uh, Lupus in Color. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Awesome, awesome, awesome information. If you can share this video, please go on and share it because the information that was provided here was so helpful and it will help you or someone else that you know that needs to be a part of clinical trials and to get some relief from what lupus can do to our bodies. So thank you everybody for tuning in. I hope that you gleaned some great information from this um, live and I hope that you're able to contact Melanie and start your bid to go and get some information on VUU, VIU Health, View Health, and hopefully be able to maybe start a clinical trial or two. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.